Hi everyone, so this is episode 23 with Joseph Pickens and we had a Dialogos exploring metaphysics. Why isn't there an account for a metaphysics of love, a metaphysics of trauma included in our understanding of reality? How might that meaningfully reweave the relationship between science and religion? And we also talked about um, death as a process of becoming. We talked about Christ consciousness and yeah, quite a wide range of things. So yeah, if that sounds interesting to you, then I think you're gonna enjoy this conversation. Um, if you are interested in practicing Dialogos one-to-one, if you're interested in coaching, then please follow the link below. And if you're interested in participating in Dialogos group sessions, um, meeting other people who are very interested in Dialogos, I'm going to be running another of my open session series this Saturday. Um, I guess that'll be the 5th at 6.30 p.m. Central Eastern Time, Central European Time. So yeah, looking forward to seeing some of you there. Joseph Pickens. It's Friday evening in Berlin, Friday morning, Santa Cruz. What is up, Joseph? I guess that's the question. We're here to explore, right? Indeed. Indeed. Hmm. Before we came in here, there was a lot of plumbing of the silence going on and it just feels really nice for me to be able to participate in that way with somebody else where you're both just sort of expanding into and feeling into the space. Yeah, my sense is what's happening there is that the potential of the space is growing. And that's, um, there's a feeling of vulnerability and intimacy associated with that, that can be frightening and And insofar that it's frightening, the tendency is to want to collapse it as soon as we start to feel frightened. Um, and it takes a little bit of courage to keep going with that, that to stay in the silence and let that potential grow.
yeah, it feels very peaceful for me, but also very much sort of filled with a potential. There's a certain creative, energetic, electric quality to, to that. But I also feel like I have become more open-hearted as a person in recent times. And that is a kind of experience that I'm having in my spiritual development that is showing up. Like every state change I have shows up in the world, be it my experience of it or more likely my experience of other people. Mm. So I definitely notice like it, it can be a little bit um, disconcerting perhaps to, to show up with this degree of presence and openness in any context, it, it stands out. Um, but, and yeah, there's, um, an intimacy and vulnerability to it because that open hearted space is, um, by its nature, sort of perceiving or disclosing, or like it's interacting with whomever or whatever it engages with. So like the way that somebody gives attention to us sort of actually maybe creates a field of experience mm -hmm. that sort of very subtly secludes or like it kind of comes into the, the shared psychic space, but it's not something I'm doing like at you, you know, it's more like an around kind of thing. Hmm. But yeah, that's something I've never spoken about in that way before. So feeling a lot of heat in like the my upper back like a lot of it's just like yeah this very hot sensation what do you think that association could be related to 
Is it connected with the breath? Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I associate it with kind of opening up but there's but there's some tension there like it's um because i don't i think that my my back is the part of the body that i there's not a lot of nerves there and i i don't tend to pay much attention to it and so it's an indication of like settling in more deeply and, and paying closer attention. I feel like there's a sort of consultation with the silence occurring in which we're kind of with each other and then we're also consulting with the silence. And so it's almost this like extra conversation, the dialogue going on. I'm also feeling the presence of whoever is watching this. I feel like it's important to acknowledge that factor. It definitely produces a physiological felt sense of something happening of mild import <laughs> but it's also a relationship on some level and i feel it's possible to shift and transform it because it's a lot of it is tied to relationship to self or relationship to the idea of the world like I've known people who uh, picked on as a certain way, in a certain way as a child, and then as an adult, when they're going out to confront the world in some like bigger adult context, there's still this relationship to the mob. <laughs> and that sort of projects outwards into the world from the 
from the shadow into the world, but it also is not just a projection. It has some capacity to call forth the world as well. And so the two are almost. Call, call forth the wor worlds in that manner, right? To show up in that manner, right? Is that what you mean? Yes. To show up as the, the yes. mob. This is what I mean. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an incredibly important notion for me. And one that sort of cuts through the butter of what's going on in certain social issues and conversations. And, and interpersonal dynamics everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's webbed into, yeah, insights from firsthand experience for me that just feel very true because they've been realized in the process of my own integration. And the way that I've sort of framed it up to this point has been sort of confined in a way, like even talking about the landscape of trauma, which is my best attempt to create something more expansive rather than contractive and also something that is beyond the individual self because the landscape so it sort of brings that yeah. from the personal out to the collective back together but what i'm proposing to you about that sort of calling forth from the shadow is kind of a fundamental metaphysical claim about the nature of of reality on a different dimension to the usual axes and ways that we measure but one that feels for me um wise Can you reiterate the metaphysical claim? Yeah. So picturing the tree, the tree with branches above, trunk, roots, this is sort of the fundamental metaphor and image of my thought. Um, it's very fractal and helpful for this. So. The shadow of the self is a branch of the self, which is in shadow. It is not conscious or illuminated it's in shadow. And that shadow, you can see I'm sort of feeling as if it's behind me. It's very much rooted in the self. Unintegrated, it still has a sort of magnetism it's like emotional dark matter and it calls forth a counterpart um, and this has a repetitious nature so 
it, this shadow, this thing, like this relationship pattern, um, workplace relationship pattern, somebody moves jobs a lot of times, they always find themselves with the same boss kind of thing, or, you know, boyfriends in different places and all the same pattern. That pattern is created by two people's two people having a sort of corresponding shadow, which interacts, pulls itself together and creates all of this intensity and friction and So that's the basic metaphysical claim. But I want to build on it briefly with something very important and possibly the most radical aspect of the claim is that that repetitious nature in which the shadow branches, the trauma branches draw out their correspondent in the roots of another person in the world whether it be on the street or whether it be in the way that two people are attracted and drawn together and get into a relationship together. It's not just the shadow element that attracts, it's also the, the positive element, but both are kind of tied together. And what it's actually affording is for the self to come into the requisite conditions that would allow it to become more of itself or become its fuller self to realize its self in a more integrated way and i've lived out the pattern of it pulling together and making a lot of difficulty and it pulling together in the same way, still pulling together, but in a way where we have the capacity and communication and skill to navigate it into love. And so this is an incredibly hopeful message. It's saying, look, your trauma has a telos and it's going to draw you into the correspondence which with whatever is resting in your unconscious. But that there is a higher telos to that, which is calling forth your greater becoming, which is calling you to be, to love, to, to be the sort of, meeting of two parts of the cosmos like the the deepest possible meeting of two parts of the cosmos <sighs> yeah so i'm trying to work out yeah there's something i'm trying to work out with that which is this, this notion, as I'm understanding it, the way you're saying it, is the shadow is, is something you're drawn to when you see, 
when you see it in the world or or it, maybe that's not right but i'm trying to square that with this notion that we it, if the shadow is the all of the parts ourselves that we've we've shut out and deemed unacceptable and then we when we see that well this notion of like projecting that onto the world and then responding almost in like a hostile way towards the world like we're trying to shut that out as well when we see it so i'm trying to i'm trying to put those pieces mm -hmm. together like you're saying we're actually what is it that we're drawn to as a result of the shadow disintegrate disintegrate a disintegrated shadow and what is it that we're aversive to in the world as a result of our disintegrated shadow now the second question is really opening up new territory for me um well you've heard of the um hidden hand of the market or the invisible hand i forget precisely how it's worded I think there's very much a similar kind of mysterious governing force involved in this. And so it's not always like, I can only draw on my personal experience and what I observed with the wisdom of hindsight was the patterns that I had played out and these very interesting correspondences that began to make sense. And I began to also see them in others around me. This is a pattern that I have seen in the context of long-term relationship partners who are drawn together, but it's also a pattern I've seen in the context of people on the street, young women who I've known who sort of seemed to attract more incidences of encountering a predatory um, kind of person. What I believe is going on there is that there is, in some cases, a particular hidden branch, if you will, that has a fear or something associated with it, that the narcissistic predatory personality type can detect on some mm. level and is drawn to mm. um and so that's unpleasant but it's something that i observed and it somehow was one of those little pieces of events where you just noticed a a causal sort of thing and then you bring it into the model and i don't want to ultimately i want to focus on the hopeful the deeply hopeful and redemptive um element of this and this is just about my metaphysical suppositions mm -hmm about how things are but there's also other good news like psychedelics 
as a cultural transforming agent coming back into history to the West at just the right time. Um, just the right time for us to wisely integrate them in order to be able to travel through this period of profoundly strange historical development and sort of being stretched from like this mammalian, really earthy material kind of being into this like linguistic higher tier of complexity being and then all the alienation associated with that. And then there's sort of even further than that, we're being pulled into some sort of techno virtual participation where there are certain aspects of the technology that are just magic from the perspective of a primordial person. Um, what we're doing right now is, is communicate, like time has been, the relationship with time has been fucked with significantly already by virtue of us gathering together all over the world at different hours of the day, which could have never happened before ever. What do you feel is the good news? <laughs> I'm leaving that one wide open for you. You can go in any direction. Who what do I feel is the good news? As you were talking, mm, yeah, I was thinking that, well, you can wake up to the shadow. You can, and, and this is, you brought in psychedelics as sort of a catalyst for that. Um, we well, can bring that, that shadow into the light and integrate it. And that, that that was my sense as you were talking about, like the, the hopeful side of this picture is exactly that, uh, which makes possible the, um, the kind of well, like at, you know, you and Hannah, it makes possible that. And um Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I want to I want to like settle into the just the weight of that question. Well, let, let me say don't let it be weighty. Well, okay. <laughs> it is it is weighty and, and it I it is um I can already see two heavy tablets descending onto your shoulders. Hmm. Well, I wanted I wanted to bring in the serpent again because it seems like 
the serpent is the the source of that dis initial disintegration that splitting of the world into good and evil um And the good news, I'm thinking about like the gospel, meaning the good news in the Christian sense. The good news is somehow this figure of Christ that in the redemption is found in this figure of Christ. And what is the figure of Christ? It's, it's, it's a way of, it's a way of being that we are to emulate in which redemption is found. And I'm, yeah, I'm almost thinking about it as in Tolkien's Silmarillion, the creation story in there, which I, I just actually got the book. I haven't started it yet, but I've heard uh, multiple people tell me about just the the awe, uh, truly awesome beauty of this creation story of of Middle Earth, um, in which the 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 deity of Middle Earth, sort of like the 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 one at the top of the the pantheon of gods uses music and song to create the world and then and then the 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 other the other angel like figures sort of are are part of that they come in and and join in this song and the, it's it's harmonious and um you could say integrated into something whole and beautiful and then there's the um the satanic figure that comes in and introduces discord into the song he disrupts the the harmony um but then what happens is the is the 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 iluvatar the godlike figure actually takes the discordant element that the satanic figure had brought into the music and weaves that into something more more beautiful nice <laughs> so the good news well maybe let me respond about that before you like we don't need to rush to to the good news. Um, the Tolkien was a Christian, of course, who uh, experienced the First World War. The question that was coming up for me when you said, you know, the good news is from the gospel and that has something to do with the figure of Christ, the redemptive 
possibility of uh, all mankind created by that. And my feeling was like, what would the good like if Christ was today? I Christ in telling the good news probably would not use Jesus of Nazareth like I think the figure of Christ has for me a lot of crossover with the figure of the shaman and maybe the figure of the mystic and the prophet. And there's a way in which those kinds of figures, when they come along, speak into the language of the context. In the case of Jesus of Nazareth, he's brilliantly studied in Judaism, and he is able to do these sort of oratorical, you know, radical moves on people when they're out on the road and there's an ox in a ditch and there's a Jewish rule about not removing the ox from the ditch and then Jesus says something that somehow, like, brings a higher order principle of justice into the situation in service of love rather than in service of the proper adherence to Jewish law. And when I was reading about Heraclitus, who was also considered a mystic philosopher or proto-philosopher, Heraclitus is also said in some of the literature to have sort of spoken into the metaphors and language of the time. Like when he wanted to speak of sort of the infiniteness of the unknown, his reference point would be sort of the relevant local Greek myth about the sort of place beyond the horizon and in Greek mythology. But the underlying message of all of those people is somehow more to do with a deeper participation with an unknowable reality as such. So the language functions more as poetry and skillful intervention and things yeah. like that. Parable.
Yeah, I'm thinking about the... That moment when the... The shadow is... You, you experience the shadow being integrated and you're no longer like fighting against something. You're no longer like spending all of this energy to assert yourself in opposition to something that's considered bad. Uh, or you're no longer struggling toward some place that's, that's imagined to be superior to where you are right now. And that's when you, and that's when you come into contact with the, the unknowable reality. The ineffable mystery. And where there's, there's nothing to, there's nothing to be done. except to just belong. I, I, was, I was trying to write about, I've been trying to write about love recently and, and put into words the, in, in the agopic sense, put into words of uh, this agopic sense of love and the, the experiences I've had of that. Um, and what I've, what I came to just this morning was um, it's just two words that love as belonging unfolding. It's not, it's not trying to do something. It's not trying to accomplish something or run from something. Every story, whether it's like a, an experience I've had in my own life, in relationship to other people, or if it's a story, I've actually like a, a fictional story. Um, the more they, the, the less, the less of a clear point to the story and the more almost arbitrary the story seems while still holding together somehow uh that's that's where i that's where i find love this just it's just belonging like all of the characters of the story whether it's fiction or reality it's they all yeah. belong together yeah. and you just see that unfold to speak to the Tolkien aspect of this, 
and I grew up on Lord of the Rings. I've watched the movies tens of times, extended and standard edition. Read the books a bunch of times too. I think Tolkien actually is a great, it almost feels to me like a higher order instantiation of Christianity because it has moved it out of this domain of the, maybe that was an, a bold claim for me to make. I'll qualify that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too bold. Um, I'll be cautious. Well, at least thoughtful. The element of that that I really appreciate is sort of distilling and bringing through into an art form that sort of expresses in a way that is much more unique and it's hard to put words to it, but I've, I felt there was also something, you know, in Nietzsche's Arathustra, my friend used to always tell me that, um, the, well, somebody I was in a relationship with, but I'm not anymore. Um, who was very into Nietzsche. There seemed to be something kind of important there with Nietzsche's Zarathustra in which somehow the story of the Christ person was distilled and reformed into this new artistic form, which sort of took it into a musical story. Hmm. And that is almost more in resonance with the, the deeper lineages of song and campfire storytelling, like the song lines of the indigenous Aboriginal people. That's sort of the deep the deep human lineage. Well, music, Sorry. music speaks of time. Time is in a, is the, 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 there can be no music without time. Um, so you can't take a piece of music and distill it into some sort of timeless essence. It's just like, here's the music now. It's, it's something that has to unfold through time. And that's, that's somehow, that's deeply important when, when, you can, when you start to realize that reality is a process that unfolds in time and and that the, the things that we see in reality are not 
sort of instances of timeless essences. Like they're, they're, they have a history to them, a lineage. Uh, everything does, not just biological organisms uh, or cultural um, cultural people, uh, humans, that it, it's every everything you find in reality has a history to it. Um, and and there's something important about that. There's something important about how how music music speaks to that. Music is a is an instrument of time travel in a certain kind of way. You can experience a movement of an entire period of your life in relationship with a single song or an album. And I've had this since I was 18 or even before that. And it's the one thing apart from the breath and big eye self that you can actually carry through into a, into a deep mystical experience. It's, it's just very striking to me that at that psychic depth of dissolution that is possible the music comes through with absolute heart-shaking clarity and you are dwelling in like and part of a movement of like a very vast acoustic space i wanted to say earlier that I think that we die into love. Mm. And I think that the process of me becoming more participating with love has been a gradual process of parts of me dying in a way. And it's, it feels more like we don't How to put this? Yeah, it's it's not so much that we're of deficit and we're seeking to become having more love, and it's more that love is a is the underlying substrate, and what we're really doing is more just removing blockages and obstacles to a greater and greater degree that sort of tails off in a way that goes into infinity because love is a infinite kind of um, force. 
So you've got to be fucking kidding me if there's going to be models of reality and metaphysics and science that don't give a meaningful account for the the physics of love or the metaphysics of of love mm. because it is such a powerful motivating force and people feel that they don't have a choice <laughs> in a way when they fall in love that's a pretty amazing phenomenon And people are totally given over to it. And it's the fabric that binds human relationships between parents and children, between partners. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important what you just said. It stood out to me. The, if you're going to give a, a, a sort of a fundamental account of reality, you have to include love in that picture. Um, and it's interesting to me what that... what. why we don't like why our why our modern models of reality don't include that and or if they do it's sort of it's it's way it's it's it paints it paints a picture of love as much less fundamental than i think it really is and i think this is um mm a not it's it's a failure to see what love is at the most fundamental level and then what what is <laughs> like like when we talk about these different level emergent levels of complexity in reality it's uh we can talk about love at like the social cultural level um and, and i'm even i'm picturing greg enriquez's sort of image of time and complexity of big history okay yeah so we can we can picture it at the cultural level we can picture it in in like social animals we see love there um maybe not quite to the extent that you do in humans um and then once you get down to just like life it's like well no it's more of just like this sort of um competitive uh brutal evolutionary landscape um and then it's like well then how do you get love and there's all these well kin selection and all of these ideas about uh, you know, this big question of like, where does altruism come from? How does, how does evolution allow for altruism? Not, not understanding that it's there as a necessary ingredient in the entire process of evolution that, that you can't have 
evolution without you don't you don't get complexification without a without both competition and cooperation in the between the systems involved in the in the evolutionary in in the, in the evolution um and then and then you get down to just raw matter and it's like well okay you don't see love there but there's a but i'm i i want what i'm looking for is that continuous thread that goes all the way from me as a as a human in relationship to other humans in this fabric of culture and in this period of history in which i live all the way down through the the my my own cultural heritage my ancestry through to our, my primate ancestry all the way down to the origin of life and through that point to the the chemistry and fundamental physics what's the continuous thread and to me it's it's this continuous process of reality differentiating into all from a, from a, some sort of original unity differentiating into increasingly diverse parts while still while at the same time integrating all of those parts mm -hmm. yeah to remain whole mm -hmm. and that's a process of complexification and it's the process that a human individual goes through in development like if you start with the zygote it splits into two and then four and then you get all of these you, the the cell start to differentiate in terms of their their function and you get different types of tissues and, and different organs they all come to make this organism and and then psychologically that same process is happening like you get this you get the differentiation of the psyche and you could talk about the ego and the shadow um and yet there's still a there's still the it doesn't just fragment reality just it doesn't just fragment into all of these different pieces it somehow holds together and verveki has talked about agape being the 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 love that brings a person into being through like the parent bringing the child into uh, into becoming a person um, through the the holding of the context in which that complexification occurs, that simultaneous differentiation and integration. Love is something like the context that enables that process, but it's it's it can't it can't just do that from some sort of like. It's, it's involved, it's invested in that process. It's part of that process. It's not like standing back detached, like, oh, I'm setting this context from some sort of transcendent place. It's imminent to the, the, the system itself that's undergoing complexification. Um, it, and, and, and that's seen not just at this top layer of of emergence but 
all the way down through all of those layers, all the way to the bottom. But but the and we can't we can't see that because we can't see the continuity between all of these layers. We can't see the 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 mm -hmm. fractal and the way mm -hmm. in which the same patterns keep showing up at all of the the let all of the layers. Um, and that's and that's why um, that's one of the reasons why I think the culture is in this meaning meaning crisis is i i think our um. ontology our ontology <laughs> actually matters even though for most of us it's implicit it it matters and one of the things that one of the things that you discover on psychedelics uh, or what you, you can discover is uh well that that underlying ontology made explicit in a way that it wasn't previously. It's like, oh, this is how I've been understanding reality. I didn't realize this is how, like, like you discover what is the fundamental way in which I order my world and make sense of things. Um, and even though most people don't realize how they are doing that, it, they're still doing it and it's affecting their lives. How, they, how are they seeing, seeing themselves in relationship to big history and the cosmos? Um, and it matters. It's important. This is too juicy for you to keep it all to yourself. So I'm going to have, all right. and so many threads I've parked in the last five minutes. Oh yeah. It feels like something about the experience we've had so far of being alone in the cosmos and the vastly different experience we could have not being alone, being at one, experiencing some form of at one with all of being. It sounds like a pretty relieving experience. And I think when we get down to a primal kind of participation, which for modern Western people, I think taking psychedelics is a way to a way that I have come into relationship with that deeper part of myself, like the hominid me below the culture personality me, you know, which was incredibly important given that I had grown up in the nineties in England on the state with the BBC and American culture and everything that was going on there. But that's, there's a sense in which that's real and not real. Um, in so far as it's living cut off from this entire deeper story, deeper history, deeper participation, it, yeah, I'm, I feel incredibly blessed to have had the curious path in life that led me to be in a relationship actually with my first love is who I did LSD with. And so, yeah, love and psychedelics for me have been deeply in relationship throughout my life. Um, 
and they have undoubtedly been the number one frame-breaking event. And it's very difficult for us to see where we are or what our frame is if we don't encounter something that breaks the frame. Mm. Or in this instance, gently dissolves the frame. So there was something I said before in the meditation about sort of the mind dissolving at the edge of the breath and kind of dying into those spaces in between. And I think that our hominid ancestors and us to this day, to a lesser degree, would have experiences of just sort of drifting off into the infinite in their participation with the imminent. And so they would sort of lose an individual self-conscious through their deep participation with the imminent. And in that way, they would be connected with something that's kind of infinite um, and obviously the participation with having children and all of that and participation with music, all these ecstatic, ecstasis-like experiences, you know, even the breath, when the breath can become ecstatic, it's like you become dwelling more and more in the context of that moreness, suchness and moreness, then that's, that to me seems to be very deeply related with the relationship with dying. Hmm. And I feel like I feel like I'm experiencing a lot of little instantiated deaths and they feel more I feel less disconnected from the whole each time I have one of those experiences and it's a kind of burning off. Mm. It's a feeling of being devoured by light or devoured by love. That's what I was just going to say. I wanted to, I wanted to bring in the burning. <laughs> bring so it, in. It, it feels like a, it feels like, well, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about the burning of the dead wood. Um, Except it's inside of your body and being. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it, and the burning it makes me think of some sort of uh, like an alchemical um, metaphor in there. You're 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 purifying. Um, yeah, there's this notion of God's love being a refining fire. Yeah, fire is very alive. Spirit is also, spirit feels very alive to me. And I, very much more than the spirit or spiritual, it's just spirit. In the same sense as wind, breath. I can't imagine any more consequential a shift in relationship to have than the relationship to the whole of being. <laughs> or in other words, the relationship to, to death and love. And so, yeah, to like pull through some threads from way earlier before you were riffing on all that cool new sort of scientific imagery, um, which was awesome, by the way, because I know that that's like, this stuff is sort of gathering in your head right now. It's like this, you know, this is sort of live putting words to it for the first time. Um, fuck, what did I want to pull through? Um, right on the edge of it. It'll come back. So I'm aware of the time and I was, I wanted to ask you mm. if you wanted to give a shot at the good news one last time. What is the good news? I just remembered what I had wanted to pull through. So all right, then, awesome. then let's. What let's what time that. roughly do you want to finish up? Well, I'm just energy wise. I'm feeling like we should wrap up pretty soon. Yeah. So like the next minutes. Yeah. Sweet. What if what we're talking about is actually the most fundamental question at the heart of the divide between science and religion?
and in answer to your earlier question, which I didn't get to answer, and it was such a pointed question, I need to now. You said, why don't we have a metaphysics of love or something like that? And my immediate response was, because we don't have a metaphysics of trauma, of shadow, of disconnection, and we have to have the metaphysics of both. One is totally bound to the other, in my view, in my experience. Mm, I you cannot have more would, love without less disconnection. I would say it's even deeper than that because we don't have a a um, a metaphysics of self or anything to do with subjectivity like there's no ontological grounding for yeah self that's why i feel getting these tree formulations these branching patterns out there and made beautiful with art is very important because it is one of those fractal instruments that you can come into relationship with and the more you come into relationship the more it will reweave and orient your mind into a kind of patterning which is intrinsically fractal and it's a good ground for orienting when one is in the project of integrating. Mm. But who am I? I'm just some, you know, some guy doing a lot of stuff, obviously, but uh, I'm not an esteemed scientist, nor am I. Um, in any kind of major institution or anything like that. And neither are you and neither are some of our close friends. And yet there's a felt sense that the work we're grappling with is the work <laughs> is like the, the great reweaving that will animate our lives is is here and happening yeah very much i've been noticing more and more the underlying project that i'm engaged in uh that i have been engaged in for the last five years or so ever since sort of my 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 the, the the Christian worldview that I had been brought up with fell apart. Um, there's been a project that I've been engaged on, engaged in, sort of in the background of my life that I'm not really aware of, but it's it's this it's this drive to unify, to synthesize all of these 
to everything I've encountered. <laughs> um, and and it, in more than one sense of the word unify or, or synthesize, which is to, to do so in a, in a sort of um, conceptual sense so that everything conceptually fits into some sort of unified picture, but then also uh, in, in, in participation in relationship that, you know, that my family would be unified and that my community would be unified. Um, and that those two are, those two can't be separated from each other. Like I, and that's what I've been realizing more and more is, um, yes, you can get along with people who don't share your worldview, you can still be in relationship to them. And that's important for our culture to understand. But I, I'm, I'm learning in a very palpable way that there is actually a problem with our underlying views of reality or our, our underlying ontology that we don't realize. And that, that needs to be we need a, 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 a better vision, a, a better story told. Um, and not just, you know, arbitrarily, like it's one that is true. And, um, and that importantly, um, speaks to our place in the universe and our responsibility in the universe and just the the um, yeah that awakens us from the meaning crisis <laughs> yeah yeah our ontologies need to get really real I, I think that the, the beautiful synthesis of, of science and religion of those different straits and dimensions of reality will only be possible with an instrument that is multidimensional in nature, a person who is multidimensional and more important than the multidimensionality the spirit and the musicality of that because i think that the love actually maybe is an insightful place of alignment with reality um that hopefully brings some good ideas Yeah, that's my most fundamental. <laughs> that's my epistemic claim. A state of love will probably give rise to good ideas. It's amazing how how cheap the word love can be. Um, and yet, 
you know, you could just throw it out there and it's so, it's so cliche and trivial. Um, and, and yet like you, you can go into the depths of being and search and search and search and wrestle and, um, you know, look for those most fundamental truths. And then after, you know, years and years of doing that, you keep coming to the same conclusion. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's love there at the center of everything. And it's so, it's, <sighs> it's so hard to, to make that word, like to, to speak to that word in a way that is that gives it the sufficient reverence and um and and just relevance and and um because it's it's so it's used so cheaply in our culture But it's over and over again, you keep returning to it inevitably. I've loved having this conversation. It's been a great experience for me. It's been a great journey. I feel like we're definitely on to something, to say the least. <laughs> and, um, yeah, looking forward to the next one, as always. Yeah, I definitely feel a lot more. I was I was given the chance to put words to things that I haven't put words to yet. So I, yeah, I've really enjoyed this as well. Mm -hmm.